Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our central London service. To hear talks from each of our services, please visit christchurchlondon.org. This morning I want to build on Lou's sermon of last week in our new series, Undivided Heart, and I want to read from Philippians 4 and verse 10. It's just uh, four verses we're reading this morning. Now come up behind me. Here's what Paul said to this church. He said, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you've renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you've been concerned, but you've had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I also know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I, he says, can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. Let me take you back to 2004. A Frenchman, Francis Choyon, had just sailed around the world by himself and broken the world record. Experts are amazed. They thought no one else is breaking this record anytime soon. They had, however, not catered for a certain 28-year-old uh, woman, Ellen McCarthy. Ellen loved sailing so much that she saved up to get her first boat by not spending any money on lunch for three years. In November 2004, she attempts her record-breaking attempt, and she knew that this was not going to be a walk in the park. 27,500 miles, inevitably with storms and high winds, she knew that at times she's going to feel incredibly lonely as well as finding, facing mind-numbing tiredness. She also knew that there would be the curveballs, the unexpected moments, like when the air-cooled generator died, leaving temperatures in her cabin at 48 degrees centigrade. While sailing around the bottom of South America, she was on constant iceberg watch. Here's what she said. She said, I have never been this bad. My veins are filled with adrenaline and fear. My brain is so active, I cannot switch it off. On several occasions, she feared that the boat would break in two. She actually wrote on her website one day, she said, I'm getting launched sideways down waves. Like falling off a cliff on skis, the boat is healing at 35 degrees. I think the biggest miracle is she could write anything at all uh, whilst going through that. <laughs> 71 days later, she sailed into Falmouth Harbour, having broken the previous world record by 33 hours. Wow. How extraordinary. She defied all the expectations and all the limitations that she or others could have put on herself. And I think she's an inspiration. She's an inspiration not just to sailors. I would suggest she should be an inspiration for us as believers. Because if a woman can do that for sailing, with all due respect to any sailors out here, then I want to suggest with all the resources that we have in Christ, that we too should be living similar sorts of lives. Not as sailors, but as students and as homemakers. 
as parents and teachers and business people who are seeking to live lives that glorify God. And in that, I'm not suggesting that the problems fade away. As Scott Peck, Scott Peck puts it in his book, The Road Less Travelled, the opening words, life is difficult, and we spend most of our life trying to avoid that fact. Ellen McCarthy, as she went round the world, found life was difficult, but she found a way of overcoming those challenges and those problems. And I think that's what Paul has learnt here. It's an extraordinary passage we've read where he says, I can, I'm used now whether I've got lots or whether I've got nothing at all. I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. And it's that which I want to look at this morning. Let me just make one other reflection before we get into the passage. I first preached on this passage almost 20 years ago in the early days of Christchurch London. So as I started preparing this, I looked back at my old notes. Here's what I found myself reflecting. The times have changed. Back when I first preached this message, London was pumping with life and was full of optimism. I remember walking down the streets of Covent Garden or Soho and it felt like everything was alive and the world was getting changed by what was happening here. Over the last 20 years, this city has taken a number of hits. Back in 2007, 2008, there was a financial crisis which, which didn't just cause people to lose jobs but has actually allowed uh, assets for many of us to grow further and further out of reach. The possibility of one day owning a house has become ever more remote as a result of what happened in those days. Since then, we've had a COVID pandemic, a, a mental health crisis, and all sorts of other things to boot. I found myself reflecting as I read the notes from my last sermon that these things, these difficulties, have slowly and almost invisibly eroded people's confidence. People are a lot more cynical now than they were 20 years ago. They're a lot more risk-averse. And they're a lot less inclined to believe that life will work out the way that they would like it to. And I want to suggest that doesn't just affect people out there. It affects every single one of us. And as a result, Paul's words, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength, are all the more countercultural at this moment in time because people's heads are down and people are very aware of the difficulties that they face. Paul had his difficulties too. He decides to try and start a church in Philippi. He finds himself in prison. That would have been enough to cause many of us to give up. He and Silas just sing and rejoice and at midnight they're praising God. And many of us know the story, the walls fall down, the jailer comes to faith, the church is started. In Troas, Paul is preaching all night. Again, that takes energy and life and verve. Before Eutychus, of course, who's sitting on the windowsill, does what many of us would do when faced with an all-night sermon, in that he falls asleep. The next thing we know, he's fallen out of the window, he's on the floor, having fallen whatever, 30, 40 foot, He's, his life is extinguished. But again, Paul is there, Eutychus is brought back to life, and the church in Troas goes on, and so on. There's many, many examples of that sort of thing. 
But this passage suggests four things which I think will be really helpful to us today. Four things which can help us as we face the challenges and the difficulties that life presents to us. Paul talks about an attitude. He talks about a motive. He talks about character. And he talks about a strength. Those are the four things I want to look at just briefly. An attitude, a motive, character, and strength. What's the attitude that Paul wants us to acquire? Well, to state it in the opposite first, a negative attitude makes our approach to testing and difficult situations simply a lot harder. There was a tattooist who was, being, who was interviewed on which tattoos sell best in difficult times. This tattooist said one of his best sellers were the words, born to lose. The interviewer was very surprised. Really? That is one of your best-selling tattoos? Yes, said the tattooist. Typically, people want written on their skin what is already inscribed on their hearts. In difficult times, people become persuaded that they're meant to be at the bottom of the pack. I remember in the early days of starting Christchurch London going to speak to another pastor. He was a well-meaning, hard-working, Jesus-loving, and very discouraged man. He kept telling me how hard it was going to be to start a church in London. And he would often say to me, he didn't finish most sentences with the words, gospel work is very hard, isn't it? And as a, I trust, faith-filled and optimistic church planter at the time, I could feel my faith sort of being vacuumed, sucked out of me as he kept talking. In the end, I thought, I've got to get out of here because this is going to make the whole thing cave in as a result. I remember as I left him, and I've met him uh, in one of the central parts of London, I remember thinking, David, don't spend time with negative people unless they want help. Anyway, so that one in for you think about that one. Remember the 12 spies who went into the promised land. They went in and they saw the beauty of the whole thing. And they came out with their tails between their legs. We cannot do it, they said to Moses and Joshua. Their negative thinking and their fear resulted in a whole generation that lost their inheritance. Nothing had changed 40 years later. Often there was a group of men and women who said, with God, we can do it. And so they went in and took the promised land. Arnold Palmer was one of the world's great golfers. He won literally hundreds of trophies and awards. He was also a follower of Jesus Christ. Here's what he had written on his office wall. He said, if you think that you're beaten, you are. If you think you dare not, you don't. If you'd like to win, but you think you can't, it's almost certain you won't. Life's battles don't always go to the stronger or faster man. But sooner or later, the man who wins is the man who thinks he can. I think there was something of that about Paul's approach as well. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Why can he say this? Because Paul is now in Christ. God is changed his identity and filled him with new power 
which means that he can approach life in an entirely different way. He can approach every situation expecting God's grace to give him ability beyond his own weaknesses and limitations. So I want to suggest that part of the challenge for many of us is a re-scripting or a rewriting of our own ways of thinking. I suspect that for many of us, as I read that uh, script that Arnold Palmer had on his wall, I found areas of that which I knew had infected my thinking. I want to suggest it be the same for most of us. So how do we change our thinking? Paul's advice, as he wrote to the Romans, is that we renew our minds. In other words, he's suggesting you can rewrite the ways that you think, even the subconscious deep waters that run within us. How does Paul suggest we do this? By feasting on the word of God. Jesus put it like this. He said, when you know the truth, the truth will do what to you? The truth will, the truth will set you free. But there's something about acquiring, understanding what God has done for us and who we are as a result, which can have a profound and fundamental, a deep effect on us. I know that when I first started getting serious about my Christian life, one of the things I started to do was learn scriptures that would help me to train myself to think differently. I remember typing out a whole sheet of them, and I sort of became an evangelist within my youth group. Do you know these? You need to read these. And I used to read them every day, and I would pray over them, and I would learn them. And I would even walk down the road saying them under my breath. Let me give you an example of the sort of scriptures I'm talking about. First John 4.4, 4, you dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one that is in the world. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, thanks be to God who always leads us in a triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. And Paul's just written about prisons and shipwrecks and beatings. But he's saying, thanks be, because you can lead. Christ leads us in triumphal possession. Back to 1 John, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's works. Who lives in you? Who lives in me? The Son of God. And so I found that learning these verses and meditating on them had a profound impact on my life. It didn't come in a moment. It came over weeks and even months of attention. But as I prayed them, as I spoke them out loud, as I journaled them, so my thinking changed, my confidence increased, and my expectation of what God might do grew as a result. Have a good friend. Uh, name's Jeremy, uh, who felt some years ago now, felt God speaking to him about moving to start a new church. And he described it in unusual terms. He said, as I've been praying, he said, I feel like I should look for some good bricks that have not yet been built together. That was the term he used. What he really meant was he was looking for some scattered Christians who wanted to be gathered to build a church, a temple for God. A few days later, he is talking to a friend of his in the northeast who says to him, do you fancy moving to Teesside? There are 40 good bricks up here that need building together. 
as you can imagine, that got Jeremy's attention. However, if you know anything about starting churches, there are parts of the country it's easier to do that in and parts of the church that it's harder to do that in. And do you know where it's easier? In the southeast. So Jeremy's like, okay, he's on the south coast at the time. So he says, well, I'll talk to some other church leaders about this group and this city. <laughs> you know what they said? One of them said this, can, these, can those dry bones live? I sincerely doubt it. Another said to him, this is the worst church that I know. Please don't ever ask me to go there again. And someone else said, this group of people are unleadable. And yet Jeremy couldn't get it out of his spirit that the Lord had spoken to him. Five years later, having moved, he and Anne had taken those 40 people to a church of 250 attenders. Around 100 of them had come to Christ in that period. 20% of the congregation were asylum-seeking refugees and they were getting ready to plant a church in Hartlepool and a church in Hull. Jeremy had learnt something of what Paul had learnt. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So there's an attitude to change. How's it going, friend? How's it going deep down? It's the attitude towards I'm going to struggle and it's not going to work out or God will give me grace and he'll find and we'll find a way through. Secondly, it requires a motive to maintain. It is this motive that makes Paul stand out from all the self-help books that just say a positive attitude is something that winners have. Paul's not saying you can get anything you want in life. What he's saying is that as you reorientate your life to Christ and his mission, there are no limits to the grace that God will give you. Here's how Paul describes his motive. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's quite a statement, isn't it? We, some, we often think of Christ crucified. I don't know how often we think of you or me up there with him. But that's how Paul sees it. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. When Christ gave up everything, I've given it, up, I've given it all up too. And he says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. What Paul said was, I can see Christ crucified. I'm crucified too. But now I can see Christ rising with new life and new power. The same's happened for me. It's a fundamental and powerful effect when we see our identity in those sorts of ways. And so if there's an attitude and a motivation for the glory of Christ, then there's character to produce. As I've already said, Paul says he's content in any circumstances, whether well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or in want. This is critical in my mind. I meet lots of Christians who love to say, I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. But I don't meet many Christians who can say, I'm happy whether I've got a lot or a little. But actually, it's only when we can say the first that we can then say the second. It's only when we can say, I'm content in all circumstances, that we can actually say, now I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. So we have to learn that contentment. And contentment, of course, is not notable when things are going well. It's when things are challenging. God gave Joseph a prison to teach him contentment. God gave Elijah persecution to teach him contentment. 
and God gave David a wilderness. I wonder what God's given you to teach you contentment in all circumstances. Years ago, I lived in Hong Kong. Uh, it's where Philip and I met. And I lived with ex-triad drug addicts. 35 of them to start with. I arrived late at night, having flown, flown. I went to sleep. I woke up the next morning and found myself literally in this large room with 35 ex-triad uh, gangsters. I had a bunk bed. I had a um, one... Uh, shelf, and I had two drawers. And that was what I had. And I remember going out shortly after having arrived and bought this fantastic pair of shorts. I really <laughs> love them. It's, it's not the ones you're thinking of, actually. <laughs> this is a major impediment to Philippa falling in love with me. Uh, fortunately, I can boast 35 years later, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But I bought these shorts and believe everything my wife says apart from on this one, uh, one instance. Uh, I, I thought they were just great. And I remember, um, I remember ne literally kneeling down and opening a drawer my, of one of my two drawers to find those shorts to wear them that day. And they weren't there. And I remember then looking up and watching them go past me on somebody else. Now that was the environment which taught me contentment in all circumstances. Of course, it's a lesson you have to relearn from time to time. But what is, what is it that God has given you to teach you contentment in all circumstances? And finally, there is a strength to grow in. Paul says we, we're to draw strength from God. Really should be that the Christian life is not the one that's lived successfully by, the, by those who are naturally good at life. It actually should be exactly the opposite way around. But it's, this is good news for those of us that are poor and needy. And so we learn to draw strength. How do you draw strength from God? Firstly, you remember what he's done. I literally, as I'm walking here this morning, I'm rehearsing both the things he's done for all of us but then the things he's done particularly for me, and I'm thanking him for them. And I can feel my strength growing as I do so. I draw strength as I receive from his spirit. So I drink deeply or draw from the manner, the daily provision that he provides in the spirit. And I grow strength in God as I'm secure and confident in his sovereignty. Got a guy I know who's an evangelist in India. It's hard being a Christian in parts of India at the moment, uh, particularly in, in strong Hindu-controlled areas. Rambabu gathers thousands of people to his meetings. He said to me, he said, he said, I can't die before my time. And he said, nobody else can take me before my time. And he's just got this rock-solid confidence in God's... And so he goes in and he preaches the gospel. Great power as a result. Well, in the diminished challenges that we face, compared with that man and many others uh, around the world, um, are you confident in the sovereignty of God? You may have, you may have noticed that 
at the beginning of this sermon that the title I've given this sermon is What's Blocking Your Horizon? And we can't bring us into land with this. Robert Louis Stevenson, uh, many of us will know of, at least the great Scottish novelist who wrote Treasure Island. Uh, he actually uh, was sick with tuberculosis for a lot of his life. Once when his wife heard him coughing badly, she said to him, I expect you still believe it's going to be a wonderful day today. Do you know what he said? As he looked up to see the sun coming in through the window, he replied, he said, I do. I will never permit a row of medicine bottles to block my horizon. What is blocking your horizon at this minute in time? Where does God want to give you grace? Where and in what way does there an attitude to change? A motive to just course correct. I'm here for his glory. A character to be produced as he puts us in difficult circumstances where contentment is to be gained or strength to be drew, drawn on uh, as we go forward with him. Let's stand together, shall we? We're going to pray. Maybe the band would come back. Let's pray together. I'd like you to just look to the Lord. And I just want to pray for just each of those different elements. First of all, is there an attitude to acquire? And I want to pray for those of us that know we need, there's an attitude that needs to change. Our heads go down too easily. We feel defeated too quickly. We even live as if we're defeated. Heavenly Father, we come to you where we know that the trials and challenges of life can so deeply affect us. And I want to pray, Father, that you would put your hand in very deeply to men and women's lives where they're struggling with a deep sense of loss or failure or defeat. And we want, I want to ask that you would set people on a new and determined trajectory, that as our minds are transformed, that we would learn to think differently and it deeply affect our spirit and our outlook on life. I pray for those of us. There's some here, and I think that's the invitation today. I don't think this is something that you just pray about and changes. I think it's something that we commit to and God renews our minds as we work with him. So I just want to give a moment for those of us that know we need to do that to just say, that's me, Lord. I want to commit myself to renewing my mind with your word. I want to pray, Father, for those of us that need to course correct our motives, that we're not in life to get wealthy or famous or comfortable or whatever it is that we're looking for. We're in life to say, I've been crucified with Christ, and I'm going to live with him. I want to pray, Father, for our characters, that you would mould us and help us in difficult times. I pray for those who are knowing particularly difficult times, and maybe even finding it hard to hold on at the moment. Mould our character. May we find contentment, as well as finding strength in that moment. And we ask, too, that you would flood us with strength. Even as we sing now, would you flood our hearts and spirits with strength for the glory of God and for his blessing in the world. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>